Do you ever find yourself giving up too easily? I experienced this a little bit just yesterday morning. I, I woke up early yesterday morning, and I was, I was going to get to work uh, trying to finish the sermon, actually. And, and I, I started going, I, I wanted to get my bag that had my iPad in it. And I usually hang my bag up on some hooks in my entryway, and I look there. It's not there. Well, hmm, uh, maybe I left it in my car last night. I was kind of busy and running around, and uh, so I put my jacket on and my shoes on, and I go look in the car, and it's not there. And that's when the mini kind of the freak out starts to begin. And I start thinking through the last place I had it. And I'm able to conclude that I either left it in my car or I brought it in the house. There's nowhere else it could possibly be. And I took a couple other, a look at a couple other places in the house, and there's still no sign of it. I kind of just gave up. <laughs> and I started sinking into this fear that came over me. And the only possible conclusion that I was able to come up with is that someone got into my car, left everything else untouched, and took my bag. Completely logical, right? Especially considering our house is about 200 plus yards from the road. Then I remember, okay, I can use, uh, find my app, iPad through my phone, and it shows me where my iPad is. And I pull it up on my phone, and, and it comes up, and it's it's two blocks away. It's, it's not here at the house. So, okay, now I know someone has took it. What do I do? Do I call the police? Well, first I decide I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to the place where it says my iPad is. So I'm getting ready to jump in the car. But as I'm getting ready to jump in the car, about a couple minutes later, it updates again. And now it's, it's showing it's in my house somewhere in my house. And I'm like, okay, it's somewhere here. I got to look for it. But then a couple of minutes later, it updates again, and it says it's, it's a couple of houses down the other direction. And I'm like, someone has it, and they're on the move. <laughs> I got to go after him. Thankfully, the voice of reason, a.k.a. Sarah, suggests maybe that it's not super accurate, that it's probably here at the house. That's when I, I realize that I can turn on a sound for it, and, and it plays a sound, and then I can find it. And I turn on the sound, and immediately, ding, 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 I hear it. It was pretty much right in front of my face the entire time. But it, it, just, it just reminded me, this whole scenario reminded me how quick I was to, to give up and come up with these crazy scenarios. I looked at a couple of places real quick, but I easily gave up and started letting the craziness take hold. But I'm not the only one who's ever done something like this, am I? Okay, maybe I'm a little crazier than most, but, but we all have a tendency to give up too easily, don't we? And it's not just the small things like looking for my iPad, but I do the same easy giving up. I, I do it with God's grace. I believe in God's grace for me, but when, when things get hard or even just a little adversity comes my way, I can so quickly give up. And when I give up, 
I give in to this lie that tells me that God's grace isn't great enough to overcome sin. As I read and studied this passage, I really wanted to focus on, on the themes of fulfillment and, and the theme of Jesus is, is that, that Matthew is announcing that Jesus is coming and he is our king, which is clearly a big part of what Matthew is doing through this genealogy. And it's why Matthew starts the gospel with his genealogy. Yet I couldn't stop thinking about how easily I give up on God's grace and begin to believe that it's not great enough to overcome sin. The more I read this passage, the more I was hit with this idea that Matthew is showing us that God's grace is greater than our sin. How do we see that God's grace is greater than our sin in a genealogy? I mean, usually genealogies are are those passages that you kind of just skim over really quickly. It's got a lot of names that are hard to pronounce, and we, we get through them so that we can get to the good stuff, right? Well, as I read this and as I was studying this, I realized how much this is a goldmine of God's grace. But I think we see God's grace is greater than our sin in two ways. That by grace, God's promises are fulfilled. And that by grace, outsiders are welcomed. First, let us look at how by grace, God's promises are fulfilled. Look at me uh, at verse 1. He starts out, The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ the son of David, the son of Abraham. Matthew makes it clear that Jesus is the son of David and the son of Abraham. In doing so, he is telling us that Jesus is the fulfillment of the promises made to Abraham in Genesis 12, where he promises to make him into a great nation and bless all the families of the earth through him. That promise is going to be fulfilled in Jesus. These promises, and also the promises that he made to David in 2 Samuel 2 that Paul read from earlier. The promise to establish the throne of his kingdom forever. This is fulfilled in Jesus, that Jesus is coming to be our king. These promises are not just for the nation of Israel. They are for us as well. Jesus is not just the king of the Jews. He is the king over all the earth. Matthew is drawing a direct line from Abraham to David to Jesus to remind us that though we may give up on his promises, he never does. Yet as we look through the genealogy, we're reminded of the many times it seemed like these promises were lost, that they would never come true. Times when it seemed like God had forgotten his promises. The kingdom is divided under Rehoboam. So many evil kings like Ahaz and Manasseh and Joram and Amos and Jeconiah. Jeconiah was actually cursed. So many times it seemed like, how could it be possible that these promises are still going to come? 
And if that wasn't enough, then surely with the deportation to Babylon, not only were the kings not following after God and leading others into idolatry, but the kingdom itself was lost. Yet Matthew shows us that through all of that, God was sovereignly maintaining the royal line of the kings. Now Jesus, who is Christ, and Christ is not his name, it is his title, and it means that he is the anointed one. He is the rightful, he has the rightful legal claim to the throne of David. Even through all the times that it seemed like sin was having its way, even though the kingdom was lost and it seemed like the line of kings had ended, even when, when so many had given up on God's grace, no longer believing his promises would come true, God shows that his grace is greater than all the sins of the Israelites by coming through on his promises in Jesus. It made me think a little bit about Luke Skywalker. Don't worry, I haven't seen the new movie yet, so I'm not going to give any spoilers. I have no idea if he's even in it. But as we were, I was thinking about, you know, the, the, the seventh movie ends with, with Ray finding Luke, and, and it's all been leading up to her finding him. And, and you think that when the eighth movie begins, Luke is going to, She's going to convince Luke to come back and fight for the resistance, and they're going to lead them on, and they're going to win the day. And that's what you hope for. But then as the eighth movie begins, you find Luke, and, and he had given up on the Jedi. You, you see Luke, and he's, he is hopeless. And, and he, he's, he's kind of grumpy. <laughs> and, and you're sad about the, his state. And you think about it, it seems like he has lost all hope. But think about what he had been through. No matter what he did and how many victories he won, it seemed like darkness continued to rise to meet him. And, and he seems to conclude that the fight against the darkness could never be won. So he stopped fighting and decided to go into hiding. When we read through the Old Testament, especially through the history of the kings of Israel, many of whom are mentioned in this genealogy of Jesus, it would be easy to conclude that the fight against sin can never be won. Even when a good king would come along, an evil one seemed to be right behind. For us, even though we have seen God make good on his promises through Jesus, especially in that he has taken the wrath of our sins upon himself and died on the cross, and we see the victory over sin and death that, he, that has been won in Jesus through the resurrection, even though we see these promises that have come true in Jesus, we are still waiting to see his promises filled completely. We are still waiting on the promise that Jesus will come back and make all things new. I love how Mark has been reminding us of this during the Advent season. Jesus has come. Christ has come. Christ will come again. 
But because his promises are not complete, we still face this temptation to give up on God's grace. Sometimes it's when we see the darkness in the culture around us. We, we get discouraged when we're scrolling through our social media and see so many just arguing and so much slander and so many just bad news. And it seems like we can't escape the effects of sin in the world around us. Maybe, maybe you'll even experience it as you gather with friends and family over Christmas. And you, and you see and hear how there are people in your family who are struggling with sin. Maybe it's an aunt who's going through a divorce or a cousin who's struggling with addiction. Sometimes, sometimes it's when we consider our own history or our own current events when we keep falling into the same sin patterns over and over again, and no matter how hard we try to fight against them, we just keep falling into sin. All of these things can lead us to give up on God's grace. It can lead us to either sink into hopelessness like, and give up like Luke Skywalker, or we can begin to take things into our own hands, trusting in ourselves rather than God's grace. I think the genealogy of Jesus helps us to keep from both of these temptations. It reminds us that God is sovereignly working out his promises even in the midst of great sin. Even though Israel turned away from God over and over and over and over again, his, his promises could not be stopped. This means that no matter how bad things seem to get, no matter how much it may seem like sin is having its way in this world or in our own hearts, God's promises cannot be stopped. Not only does this mean that we shouldn't lose hope, it also means that his promises don't rely on us. It is God's grace alone that brings about his promises. We must not give up on his grace and trust in him to continue to fulfill his promises. But not only do we see by grace God fulfills his promises in this genealogy, we also see that by grace, outsiders are welcomed through this genealogy. Matthew includes so many people in the genealogy, in the genealogy of Jesus that we would not expect to see. First, it would have been shocking to his readers to have women included in the list. You know, genealogies are usually traced through the male line. Why does he include women? But Matthew mentions five women, Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, the wife of Uriah, Bathsheba, and Mary. And not only were these women in that time considered to be outsiders because of their gender. But minus Mary, they all would have been outsiders because of their race. They were all Gentiles. Tamar and Rahab were Canaanites. Ruth was a Moabite, and Bathsheba was a Hittite. And, and as if that weren't enough to be outsiders because of their gender and their race, they're also outsiders because of their sin. Tamar, the mother of Perez, 
through incest, was, was the mother of Perez through incest with her father-in-law, Judah. Rahab was a prostitute. Ruth, a Moabite. The Moabites were known for their sexual immorality. And then there's that questionable night that she spent with Boaz. And Bathsheba was an adulteress. But we don't, it's not just the women in the genealogy of Jesus that are outsiders because of their sin. As we look through the entire list of people who, who Matthew mentions, so many of them have, are guilty of great sin. Abraham lied about Sarah being his sister twice. Jacob stole his inheritance. Judah, he was certainly not innocent in becoming the mother of Perez. And David committed adultery and then murder to try to cover it up. And I've already mentioned the evil kings who followed their own ambitions and led others to idolatry. Matthew includes all these people who are outsiders for many different reasons. But Matthew doesn't just include immoral people. He seems to be deliberately calling our attention to what Tim Keller calls some of the most sordid, nasty, and immoral incidents in the Bible. I mean, think back. Look at, look at verse 6, where, where he says, uh, he, he doesn't even mention Bathsheba's name. He calls her the wife of Uriah. Why does he do this? I think it's because he's intentionally drawing our attention to the sin of David and Bathsheba. He seems to be intentionally making the point that, that no one has earned their way into the family of Jesus when he, he points out all their sin to make it clear nobody has earned their way into the family of Jesus. It's by the grace of God alone that any are included in the family of Jesus. And, and this begins to make more sense when you even consider who Matthew was. It makes sense that he would draw our attention to the sins because he himself was an outsider. Matthew was a tax collector, which meant he was among some of the most hated people of that time for the Jews. He, he worked for the enemy Roman Empire. He stole from his feather, fellow Jews in order to line his own pockets. As an outsider, Matthew is making it clear that great, the grace of Jesus is for outsiders. Jesus came to be the Savior of all who come to him in repentance and faith, not just this small group of people. But no one likes to be an outsider. No one likes to be considered an outsider. Just, just think for a moment of how much of, of your lives are, are driven by FOMO. The fear of missing out. We don't like to be outside of a shared experience. We, I mean, have you ever gone to a, a movie that you didn't even really want to see, but your friends were going and you didn't want to miss out? And, and as, as a youth pastor, I, I often ask people if they're going to be able to make it to an event. And the number one question that I get, almost without fail, people always ask, hey, who else is coming? And the implication of this question is, I don't want to come unless I know my friends are coming. 
because I don't want to feel like an outsider. That's not just youth that do that. Adults do it too. I, I do it all the time. I'm constantly asking things like, uh, will I know anyone there? Uh, will, there other, will there be other dads there? Because <laughs> um, I don't want to be an outsider. Yeah, as we look at the genealogy of Jesus, I think what we're supposed to come away with is that we're all outsiders. I, Isaiah reminds us that we are all outsiders in Isaiah 53, 6, when he says, All like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. It's a reminder that we all equally stand in need of the grace of Jesus in order to be a part of his family. Now, if you are here this morning and you have yet to come to know Jesus in repentance and faith, please hear this. Don't let your sin hold you back from his grace. God's grace is greater than your sin. This tells us that we don't need to fix up our lives before we come to Jesus to make ourselves worthy of his love in order to come to him. We are all unworthy, and we can all come to him in faith and repentance. And and no matter who you are or, or what you've done, what this reminds us of is that there is nothing that can disqualify you from the grace of God through Jesus Christ. But for those of us who have placed our faith in Jesus, we still need to be reminded of this truth because we still so often give up on his grace. We need to be reminded for ourselves because it's so easy to forget that it's only by God's grace that we are saved. And we begin to work and give up on his grace and begin to try to achieve God's blessings through our own righteousness. And, and we, we want to earn and merit our standing before him. We also need to be reminded of, that God's grace is greater than our sin for others. For the sake of those that we find hard to love. We all have family or friends or acquaintances who get under our skin and frustrate us. One, one commentator captures this, this well when he writes, if we give thanks that we are included in the family of God, then we will include others and give thanks for the presence of others as well. If we understand ourselves to be outsiders, then we will long to see other outsiders come to know Jesus. Even those people that are hard to love. See, our culture teaches us to see some people as unworthy of grace while we're okay. It can be really hard to see those people we have a hard time loving as just as worthy of God's grace as we are. That's why we got to be reminded that we're outsiders too. We also need to be reminded of that God's grace is greater than our sin for the sake of those that we love, for the sake of, of those that we love and our family and our friends who we long to see them come to know Jesus. 
yet it can so often seem like they are so far away from God. Don't give up on God's grace for them. No matter how far away they get, no matter how much it seems like sin has a grip on their lives, they are never so far away that Jesus can't reach them. Let me end by just thinking about um, how easily we, again, going back to how easily we give up on things. You know, when I'm, you may have seen some signs and posters about the magic stone of Santa, and I created this game, and it was this big scavenger hunt around town, and as I'm creating this game, what I had to keep in mind, it's, it's such a challenge, because you have to make it challenging enough that it's fun, but not too challenging that people just give up like that. And that's a really fine line. And the reason that that is such a fine line is because when we see challenge in our lives, we're so quick to just give up. We're so prone to give up on things when they get tough. We do that over and over and over again. You know, I was thinking about the Christmas season. The Christmas season is so full of joy and laughter and excitement and anticipation and fun and gifts and parties and family and friends and food. Don't forget to mention the food. It's good food. And et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. There's so many good things. But it can also be full of stress and conflict and discouragement and mourning, and sadness, and busyness, etc., etc. Christmas time can be really hard, and it can make us want to give up on celebrating, and just focus on getting through, just survive. In the midst of all the emotions and trappings of, of Christmas, it can be so easy to forget what or why we're celebrating. Christmas is all about celebrating the amazing grace of God that is far greater than our sin, which he puts on display through Jesus. As Christmas nears, my prayer is that you will be reminded of God's grace. And that it is by grace that God fulfills his promises. And it is by grace that God welcomes outsiders. Please join me in prayer.